0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hotshot Wake Up. We have a great, great show for you today. We talked to Dr. Melinda Adams, who belongs to the ND San Carlos Apache Tribe and is the assistant professor in the Department of Geography and Atmospheric Science and Indigenous Studies at the University of Kansas. Dr. Adams holds her Bachelor of Science from the Haskell Indian Nations University, her Master's of Science from Purdue University, and PhD from the University of California, Davis. Her research focuses on the revitalization of cultural fire with tribes and the intersection of ecology, environmental science, environmental policy, and Native American studies. Broader implications of her research include deploying cultural fire as a climate adaptation strategy while mitigating the frequency and intensity of catastrophic wildfire. We have a conversation that covers all sorts of things. We talk about history. We talk about people's relationships with the landscape. We talk about loving where you live and taking care of that environment. And then we dive into what you think we would dive into, which is prescribed fire or cultural fire and how it's being used to revitalize these landscapes, bring communities together, and how Dr. Melinda Adams is using these practices to teach people and train people to propagate this work further inside of their communities and to lessen what a lot of us would consider the fear of fire that there is in the public sometimes. It's a great conversation. I thank Dr. Melinda Adams for coming on and I hope you enjoy the show.
1: I have traveled this year over all the United States through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies, and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras.
0: I have traveled Dr. Adams, thank you so much for coming on and providing your time for this conversation. Can you give uh, a slight introduction of yourself, and then we can dive into the conversation of cultural burning, cultural fire, and and what we do call good fire uh, in our industry.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Tim, for having me on. So the way that we introduce ourselves as Native peoples to kind of honor where we come from, I would say, uh, I said, hello, my name is Melinda. I am a member and I belong to the San Carlos Apache tribe in Arizona. Um I am currently an assistant professor at the University of Kansas, where I study cultural fire. And it's been a long scholastic journey for me in studying the positive benefits, ecological and social benefits of cultural fire and what collectively in the fire world we refer to as good fire, mm-hmm. intentional fire. Um, so I'm an indigenous person, I'm a native woman, I'm a scholar. I'm a cultural fire learner, and I am a cultural fire burner.
0: very, very nice. Where did the the want and the interest come from? Like how old were you when you knew, I guess, basically, what wildfire is and and what it does to a landscape? did Did that come early on?
2: As an intro point to kind of the work that I do with fire and building allyships and partnerships with people within fire agency, but also um, farmers and ranchers and people that want to have controlled burns, you know, welcome them onto their property or welcome fire onto their property. What we um, kind of lead with is that as Indigenous peoples, we have an interesting and probably different worldview of fire. Um, A lot of the practitioners in California, they lead conversations with fire is a stewardship tool. Mm -hmm. And some of their creation stories, you know, how the world came into being for us as indigenous peoples, fire is very much embedded in a lot of those stories that we pass on um, orally and through lived experiences within our communities. And so what one of the practitioners, um, a Karuk forester and tribal member, Frank Lake, excuse me, Dr. Frank Lake, he tells us that, uh, fire is a relative fire is our kin. And he uses this really cool term that I like. He calls it pyrokincentricity. Okay. <laughs> pyro fire kin family centricity, you know, together and connectedness. So, Yeah. Um, Part of the work that we do as Indigenous burners and Indigenous peoples, scholars, is that we work on rebuilding our relationship with fire. And definitely on um, the black line, you know, working with agency peoples, hotshots, who are, I have to say, are some of the biggest supporters of what we do and trying to get good fire onto the ground. Um, what we try to do is, you know, work on that, on rebuilding that interpersonal and intrapersonal relationship with fire you know, mm-hmm. as an, um, a stewardship tool, as a uh, tool to mitigate against the complications of wildfire that we're experiencing, especially in the West, but that the rest of the United States is feeling the effects of, um, and also mitigating those climate impacts through greenhouse gases and the destruction of wildfire, the pollution that it brings. So, a lot of the people that we work with that are on the ground, you know, that are firefighters themselves, we're all on board for, um, putting good fire onto the ground to mitigate those climate and, um, wildfire implications.
0: Over the last couple years, in, in my view, it seems like people are starting to, they're starting to slowly turn the corner. And even when it comes to legislators, things like that, like you were working on something out in California to to try to allow this to happen more. And uh, can you take us through what that was and the process? And are you seeing people starting to uh, to understand this and be more accepting of? Oh, hey, yeah, fire on the landscape. This is kind of a this is kind of a thing. This is a normal thing and a healthy thing for our environment. Can you bring us through that?
2: Right. So I would definitely agree that there's movements forward in legislation, especially in California, where my work uh, and my research is at. But more importantly, where my relationships and partnerships with tribes live and are tended to and are nurtured are, are there in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shifted gears and I'll kind of get into that in um, after I... Touch on the first part of the question. Uh, Now I burn in the Midwest with tribes here, and the fire landscape looks a little bit different. uh, But there are definitely commonalities that I um, have experienced, and I'm trying to bring into academia as well as working with uh, federal agencies, state agencies. So um, there's some commonalities that I I would love to dive into here in a minute. But uh, for California, the new legislation, at least within the past, I would say five years, it's it's changed and the practitioners that I work with and the academics that I work with, we're understanding that with agency, a, a large part of the history of those fire agencies has been fire suppression, you know, yeah. how to put it out, how to be reactionary to large scale wildfires. So now the shift that we're experiencing right now, and at least where the money is pointed to, is trying to put fire on the ground so that there isn't such catastrophic effects once wildfire. Um, hits hits landscape. Um, so for uh, that to change, you know, there needs to be a cultural of ch- a culture of change within agency, but then also with public perception. So I'd mm-hmm. say those are the two main things that we're starting to see a little bit of a sh- well, a-, a shift in both agency mindset, From putting fire out to putting fire on the ground, in addition to public perception of this inherent fear of fire that is the West. Yeah, so um, all of the work that our hotshots are doing, all of the work that our black line crews are doing, our cultural fire practitioners, you know, I think uh, I'm pretty sure the main goal for all of us is to change some of those perceptions but then also for us as native peoples advocating for indigenous peoples that are leading these cultural burn demonstrations um having agency and voice within you know the fire realm those are all movements forward so so definitely to answer your question yeah we've seen this shift with policy with uh, federal monies that are being allocated to getting more fire onto the ground and just an overall change in perception of fire, you know, putting it on the ground versus putting it out. Um, so that's in California and in the West, where I have partnerships and, and relationships with fire professionals in the fire world. So now I'm in the Midwest, and I've been here for about four months. Okay. You know, going on going on my fifth month, and. I uh, so it's important to to note that I'm here because there is a tribal college, one of the biggest tribal colleges throughout the nation, and that's a university that's dedicated to and specifically for Native American students getting their college degrees. And we also have Native faculty that teach at that university. so it's it's significant within our communities of why I'm here and in this space, and the close relationship to the university that I, I'm a professor at, which is the university of Kansas now. Um, so plenty of opportunity for native peoples in education that are learning about ecology. They're learning about environmental science that, um, are learning about their cultural heritages as well. So that's why it's significant that I'm here in Kansas. Now that I'm here, I was invited and encouraged to hold a cultural burn demonstration to educate the public about one Native people (laughs) that are everywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. everywhere is our homelands. And so anywhere you go in the world and in the United States, you're on Native lands and there are Native people in the community. So that was part of my role. And then also teaching people about fire. So in the Midwest, fires definitely has, fire definitely has a different culture in that there's ranchers and private homeowners that already engage in yeah, these types of concerns. I was going to ask, yeah, you, and farm, you probably farm saw burn. a
0: noticeable difference from the public perception from way out West in California <laughs> and now in the Midwest, yeah?
2: Right. So we had this bird demonstration and I was thinking the policy and the legislation to hold a burn, you know, a lot of the, the barriers that we kind of had to work through in California with cultural fire practitioners to hold a burn, they pretty much, and I had one person in particular who held a lot of power. They were like, no, like we 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 hold controlled burns and, and farm burns all the time. Yeah. But the additional part that this person shared with me was no, you're a sovereign nation. Of course you have the right to burn and steward your own land. So yeah. I was taken back by that in that particular um, experience because it was different from what we had experienced from as cultural fire practitioners in the West. So that gives you a little bit of a glimpse for, for listeners and for folks, just the different a fire culture that is the Midwest compared to, to the West in general.
0: It's kind of shocking um, that it varies so much. And I understand different landscapes, you know, different, there's a lot of things that are different when it comes state to state. And if you're in the Midwest, the East Coast, or, or even up in Alaska, you know, mm-hmm. all, the, all the way out in Hawaii, you know, when they're doing burns, it's it's amazing mm-hmm. to see the vast public perception that that is. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's, because it, we're still just dealing with fire but but, right. the, but the opinions change so much on it and i don't know that that has just fascinated me that's why i bring it oh up is cuz i i just find it fascinating how different the perception can be and and is that like an educational thing is that just culture um you know what what do you have an opinion on what causes uh, you know such discrepancies in in the opinions of people on fire <laughs>
2: so definitely the landscape i would say mm-hmm. um and then given the policies that had been enact, enacted in different parts of the united states in california for sure um another piece of the scholarship that we lead with is that one of the very first uh, pieces of legislation in california was to outlaw to prohibit indigenous they called it indian fire indigenous led burning um so
0: when was when did that take place
2: that was when it officially became "quote unquote" a state in 1850. Okay, yeah, and they're just like, "Hey, no, we're done with now.
0: this. You can't do it anymore."
2: Mm-hmm, okay, yep. okay. And so there hasn't been giant steps forward since that policy was enacted, you know, in 1850. Yeah, yeah. So we're still in the policy of fire suppression, and it's not until recently that you're seeing some of those new bits of policy that are um, encouraging and supporting controlled burns or prescribed burns um, and because of the fuel buildup of course given that time and the change in landscape that is california now of course that makes it more susceptible to um catastrophic fire wildfire but also when arson happens you know and fires like that get out of hand of course there's more landscape to burn up and mm-hmm. um, resources might be scarce to to try to you know, emergency, uh, situation and put the fires out. So definitely the landscape is different from, from California in the West than in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. But I will say, um, while we were holding the control or excuse me, the, while, when we were holding the cultural burn demonstration, people were supportive of putting good fire onto the ground, but there's still room for people to be trained and how to do so. Sure. I kind of assumed a lot of people would have experience with fire, just given the difference in cultural out here. But um, I definitely saw opportunity and I noticed that, oh, well, we need to get more people fire certified or, oh, we need to have more burn demonstrations so community members have that connection to fire and are a part of it. So although the policy and the culture is different, that we still need people to be able to be trained in how to put good fire to the ground.
0: Yeah, 100%. And you know that's a, that's another thing. Hey, you brought up a good point. Out in California, there is you have that arson and that wildland urban interface aspect, and uh, yeah. So there's already a neg- negative connotation if someone's like, "How'd that fire start?" Oh, it was arson. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's mm-hmm. horrible. So there's that as well. But how do you then expand these programs? You're talking about putting on these demonstrations. Um, you know, what resources are needed and, um, how do people get that training? You're saying we need to train up more people. How is that made available down there? How does that uh, move forward?
2: Right. So I'll start with my work in the West because definitely being a part of the cultural fire movement as an academic, as well as a person on the ground that, that now leads some of these fire placements, um, there's opportunities, of course, for uh, NWCG and being federal fire certified, folks getting their red card um, and entering the fire professional world. There's definitely opportunities like that. And uh, a movement forward with that um, for indigenous cultural burners is the uh, training exchanges, the TREX programs mm. that you're seeing kind of pop up yep. throughout the West, which are so cool. Like they're super interesting and definitely give people um, in the fire profession as well as community members and tribal members the opportunity to learn about good fire and um this is where my storytelling part of me comes yeah, out i absolutely. actually had the opportunity yeah i had the opportunity to attend a training exchange in lake county which is um a little bit northwest of where i uh, completed my PhD in Davis. So it's this huge lake, of course, Lake County. There's a huge lake and they have volcanic soils, and it's an amazing, you know, piece of landscape yeah. that um, has Pomo native peoples that are there. And so there's this really amazing organization, Terra Tribal Eco Restoration Alliance, and they're a nonprofit organization and they work with. Um, and WCT folks to do their own training exchanges and train up their tribal members and community members so they can protect their homelands and their landscapes from catastrophic wildfire that they've experienced, um, you know, in the past. Yeah. And so, Uh, I had the opportunity to attend and actually lead the cultural fire portion of their training exchange. And it was an amazing experience because you had, you know, people wanting to be hotshots. You had people that were wanting to be fire professionals, and you also had this mix of native peoples that were wanting to just learn about fire and learn how to do their own good burns within their own homelands. Um, so that was my training exchange experience. There's also, um, pretty impressive ones that are being done in the far northern part of California with the Hoopa tribe, the Yurok and the Karuk. Um, there's multiple media pieces and documentaries that are, um, cataloging, you know, their experiences and their movements of fire forward, especially being in a, um, a place that receives a lot of wildfire throughout the summer months. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're doing an amazing job at exercising their sovereignty in, um, engaging in their own self-determination as a tribe. They're working with the Nature Conservancy, uh, Cal Fire, Fire Federal Agencies, Forest Service. So they're providing a really great example, you know, for um, other areas of the United States and in California of getting good fire on the ground and training their own peoples. So for California, um, specifically, those are the examples of like fire forward and um, people trying to work on that relationship with fire, that public perception of fire. Um, and then for us as academics, um, my work in California and also here in the Midwest, you know, training students, training young people to have, um, we fire experience, you know, prescribed and controlled burns, being a part of it. The The way that we try to shape it is that there's a role for everybody. You know, you may not be on the front line or the mm-hmm. fire line, but you might be a holding crew member. You know, you might be helping with the water or you might be, you know, just on the landscape learning about fire chemistry and fire physics. And for us culturally... You know, this is so embedded, like I said earlier, in our creation stories, our prophecy stories, which tells us about the futures to come. You know, there's heritage lessons that you learn and a connectedness that you have with the landscape that you live and hopefully the place that you care about. You know, those are all climate mitigation factors that if you care about a place, you know, if you know a place, you'll care about it. And if you care about it, you'll defend it. 100%. That's kind of the message. 100%. Yeah, that's kind of the message that we try yeah. to, to, I love that. to get to all walks of life. I that. Love are that. I,
0: I don't think enough people care about where they live. And that's such a broad statement to make. I know it is. <laughs> I understand how broad that statement is. But I do feel that way. I feel as though people don't, care about where they live as much as in the past. And, and that's across the planet. Like, I'm not saying this Mm -hmm. is localized anywhere. So Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I like, I have goosebumps talking about it because it's, it's that connection is so important. Um, because if you do care about where you live, you're going to take care of it and you're going to want to know the past of that place. And you're going to want to understand what it is and where you're living. You were speaking right. uh, previously about you know how that affects like the mental health of your students when they actually do get outside and do see p- positive change and are interacting with the environment. Um, Can mm-hmm. you talk about that aspect as well about how how important it is just as a community and whole to to what what we're just saying, to care about where you live, you're taking care of it and and how that even does it lifts the spirit of the people who are doing it. Can you speak on that?
2: Right. So we'll um, focus a little bit more on the cultural firework. Uh, The way that we present it is it's an opportunity, you know, to get people on the land, like you said, to care about the place that we live and hopefully love and that we care about. um, But then also learn that there's indigenous peoples that were here And that still are here. And not only are we here, we have solutions to climate change and environmental degradation that we're experiencing all across the United States. And that's true anywhere you go. Native peoples, we're everywhere. (laughs) You've Mm got to find us or understand that we're not relics of the past. We're not just stuck in history books. You know, we're actively here Um, and reclaiming a lot of those heritage lessons that were lost due to some impacts of colonialism. Um, So I have helped with a cultural fire course that's at UC Davis, and that's led by Professor Beth Rose Middleton Manning, who is my primary uh, dissertation supervisor, and just doing amazing work within the cultural fire realm. Um, So we take young students, UC Davis students, and they come from all types of disciplines, which is the... Um, one of the higher points about the class because these are students that could take the message to whatever, you know, academic discipline they're a part of, whatever Mm -hmm. lifestyle they choose to leave. So these are good fire messages that are being spread, you know, across a vast um, uh, density of, of human experiences. So we have cultural fire experts, so Native peoples, Indigenous peoples that hold this fire knowledge as our our experts, as our teachers, instructors. And we also bring students out onto the land to experience a cultural fire demonstration or cultural fire demonstrations. And my practitioners that I work with, um, Chairman Ron Good of the North Fork Mono Tribe and Diana Almendiras. A um, Potwin and Maidu elder that works uh, at the Cash Creek Nature, or she works with the Cache Creek Nature Preserve um, a little bit by Davis, where I went to school. Um, so I know they would want me to share that um, cultural fires are different than prescribed and controlled burns in that we have a lot of work that leads up to <laughs> and a relationship with the land that we prepare for good fire um, before the actual burn day. So, uh, I call it humble fire <laughs> because okay. it definitely humbles you. <laughs> um, the work that's put into, you know, preparing the landscape, um, raking, chopping, stacking for pile burns, sweating. <laughs> that's a lot of work that goes into, um, you know, preparing even before we, we light. A yeah. Match you don't just, you don't just walk
0: out and start putting fire on the ground. There's, there's a process. Right.
2: There's a process. Yep. And in doing so, you're building a relationship with the landscape. So you're familiarizing yourself, you're holding yourself accountable to these Indigenous cultural fire practitioners that are gifting you these lessons of good fire. So that's like one day. (laughs) The next day, you know, could be a burn day if, you know, the air quality is as such. um, And if the wind, (laughs) you know, is giving us some stable Mm winds to be able to burn, then you might have the actual burn day. And on that day, you know we have the burns, and everybody's invited to participate. you know whether you have your fire certification or not, there's a role for everybody. you know, as long as we're being safe and as long as we're adhering to the protocols that our fire practitioners have vocalized and shared with us. yeah, and everybody's welcome to burn. And the, I mean, it's it's like being on the fire line, too, the camaraderie. And the um, yeah the relationships that safety, are built yep yeah. the relationships that you build with people it's there and there's definitely a a, a um, connectedness you know that you feel when you're on these good burns or good fire burns so that could be one day the actual burn day and then the main difference that my practitioners I know they want me to share is we burn and we return we come back you know we check on the landscape we clean up we rake over we maybe replant plants that they want to see reemerging. Um, So that's the difference, at least that I've been taught, between a controlled burn, prescribed burn, and a culturally led burn, um, and really uplifting that relationship to place and getting people to care about, you know, where they live again. Um, So that's been some of the experience in cultural fire and and getting fire on the ground. and. uh, I've been fortunate to be able to to burn, you know, be trained to burn in this way, but also work with Cal Fire and federal agencies in training those folks, you know, about cultural fire. So we've had two workshops with Cal Fire in training on the ground people of how to put good fire to the ground. And in one instance in particular, we didn't use any fuels. We didn't use any propane we, you know, let the plants burn because the uh, cultural fire experts knew which ones to use for fuel and knew which ones would which would carry the fire. So that was a pretty amazing experience too to show people, you know, ancestrally how we burned with the plants that are there, how it carried good fire and how it stuck to the prescription. So those were all you know valuable lessons for not only federal fire agency people, um, tribal members, but also our community members. In trying to shift that perception of destructive, dangerous wildfire to good, you know, steward fire placement on the ground.
0: Yeah. Do you do you expect to see more of these like cooperative uh, burns and, uh, you know, have you have you heard of any that are being planned besides these two that that you experienced? Because that's that's a it seems like a big step forward as well as is uh, having these people participate and, and see what what it is that's being done.
2: Definitely. And again, for even people that weren't on the line, just participants, observers, journalists, yeah. you know, people that were writing the story about returning fire to the ground. Um, it, it all helps with policy. So public perception. Um, Pieces that are written on on the fire that we're putting to the ground, those all help, you know, shift that um, perception of wildfire and catastrophic fire, catastrophic fire, excuse me. Um, So, with the main two bills that just came out, I, I say just came out, they came out in 2022, the AB 642 and the SB 332, those are in California specifically. So, the latter one equates a burn boss to a cultural fire practitioner or cultural fire practitioner to a burn boss. So in a way that leverages more power back to indigenous peoples and native peoples to hold cultural burn demonstrations and to put good fire on the ground. Um, so another thing that I know the practitioners that I work with would want me to to share is there is room for supporters. There's definitely room for allies, for fire professionals, you know, to come and learn and burn with Native peoples that are holding these demonstrations. Um, because, again, that message that's received and the experiences that are uh, shared on the land. They're carried forward, you know, by people's circles, their interpersonal circles, their professional circles. So the the two practitioners that I work very closely with, I know they're they're um, they would like for people to approach them and uh, find a way to be invited to the burn demonstrations to learn in a good way, you know, in a responsible way, in a way that's respecting the culture, but also the fire lessons that they share and that they gift. Um, so those two new pieces of legislation, there is some uh, monies that are tied and that are allocated specifically for prescribed and controlled burns, to my understanding that the legislation is written. Um, But they're still so new that we're seeing how they're played out on the ground. And we're seeing how much good fire we can get. I think the governor has a goal of a million acres every year. Um, We're a little behind that that goal. (laughs)
0: We're a a, a little (laughs) bit behind that goal. But it is a good goal to have.
2: Right, and yeah. it's uh, it sends a message, right, that sure. more people are welcomed to safely, you know, burn on their property, especially private landowners. Um, hopefully, to use their power to work with cultural fire practitioners to invite good fire on the landscape. Um, so, so the shifts, you know, they're new, and we're we're hopefully. Yeah, we it's a big machine to be pushing in an
0: opposite direction all at once. It takes time mm-hmm. to, for that pendulum to swing back. So, right. But that's good to hear. Can we, you just had a paper come out. Can you quickly tell us what that paper is about? And then I, and when I say quickly, I just mean like the title and and the overview, but we should dive into it. Um, And then how that ties with this, a lot of, a lot of listeners, a lot of my listeners are firefighters and their family members. So they may not know much about what I'm about to bring up as, as what you've seen and experienced. Um, I see it because I have people they reach out to me and they're like oh this is this is the saddest most depressing thing ever and I all I did was update a you know a hundred acre fire somewhere in the middle of nowhere you know and that would be this environmental grief that you talk about and and how that affects people and just maybe even explain what it is and I understand I just put a lot on your plate
1: <laughs>
0: but maybe start with the paper and then we can work our way into, this phenomenon which is this environmental grief that that people have it seems like people have this
2: Absolutely. And I would say I I come to this work as a trained ecologist. I I think I shared with you, but I'll share with listeners. I started this work as a uh, person studying ecology at Purdue University under my primary advisor. And we worked with a soil amendment that um, is produced through through burning, not active burning, but it's charred material. You put it back into the soil and uh, a chemical and physical properties that change benefits the plants, the plant communities.
0: Yeah. The people in, in wildland fire would know it as just biochar. It's the, the biochar, the, the biochar exactly. operation. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I come from a very nerdy space and like, that was my, <laughs> <laughs> that was my intention. Um, and we had really good results with that. Uh, that was from my master's thesis at Purdue. So I, I come as an ecologist and environmental scientist, but in the work in California and being a native person, I definitely saw how fire, number one, is just policy related and it's, um, yeah, in a bigger realm than my ecological focus. And so being in this space, I have to learn about policy and I have to learn about laws and regulations about fire. So, um... This uh, Returning back to some of the ecology things that I talk about, I just had this paper come out. I wrote it with Chairman Ron Good, of course, uh, of the North Fork Mono Tribe, and the lovely Dr. Erica Tom, um, just an amazing uh, scholar as well. So we talk about solostalgia to solophilia cultural fire, climate change, and indigenous healing. And one of the interventions or just one of the interesting pieces of it is that the cultural fire work right now is is ecology kind of focused and maybe some threads on emergency response and the need for uh, wildfire planning, uh, this as a mitigation tool. So for us, we talked about the positive um, cultural and social and mental effects that good fire or culturally-led, indigenous-led cultural fire can have. And this is mainly through Chairman Good's cultural fire demonstrations that he holds at his property. Um, So this phenomenon that's called solastalgia, it it is, it's climate grief that we're seeing a lot of in younger people, people that maybe have a hard time imagining their future because of things like capitalism, or because of things like wildfire, or floods, or um, catastrophic weather event. Yeah. So it's having a yeah, it's, they're it's, it's being real. bombarded
0: with it all. Mm-hmm, and, and it's hard and, to
2: envision that.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
2: Yeah. So um Steve uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Albrecht, he created this term called soul nostalgia and it literally means grief, environmental grief, climate grief. Okay. Um and they also wrote a follow-up paper <laughs> to It in solophilia. And that's a little bit about what we talked about earlier. Solophilia, the love, love for a place, Mm -hmm. love for the environment that you have. And so for us, the ones that worked on this paper, we thought through, oh, well, if they're battling, you know, this this big picture climate effects, then how is it that them, they themselves in a maybe a small way, could combat this or could mitigate the feelings that they have about, about this grief and their future? So through this class at UC Davis, again, by Professor Middleton Manning, um, we get students out on the land and we go through that humble fire that I talked about earlier, you know, getting their hands in the soil, letting them feel native plants, uh, recalling the native name, the indigenous names in our languages to those plants. Those all... You know, have positive effects on their well being, on their mental capacities, and that connection to a place. Um, so, that to us is the solophilia. And then, when you talk about the spiritual connectedness and the uh, positive feelings, that again, we talked about the camaraderie of burning together, you know, there's something in that that helps with that climate and grief. Yeah. And I do want to add that we did have students um, in a particular iteration of the class that were, um, affected by wildfire, either through displacement or losing their family home. So we had students that, um, specifically took the class because they know they wanted to work on their relationship with fire because it, was a source of destruction Man. for them in wow. some kind of way. Yeah. That was really powerful. That's like some hands-on um,
0: healing right there. If you're going to dive into that, that's props to them for yeah. stepping into that realm. Cause that's probably not easy for a lot of people to, you're basically facing, you are facing your fear at that point, right?
2: Exactly. It's yeah. very it powerful. In addition to having the students that, and I myself, had my educational journey through the pandemic being inside, you know, having that isolation, yeah, which locked away. Um, took a toll on a lot of us. So this served yeah. as a way to, to, cause our, our class continued even though we were in 2021. You were doing you like know, a virtual um, thing. We brought students out on the land. Oh, so we held burn. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. All so, right.
0: All right. I so, like that. I've
2: been, as Indigenous peoples, we believe—at um, least when I heard the term, and when one of the others I work with heard the term "social distancing," yeah. we were like, "No, we need yeah, social together." <laughs> that sounds gross. <laughs> yeah. So they said we'll physically distance, but we need to be together socially, culturally.
0: Yeah, you know,
2: to, yeah. To, feel, to get through yeah. this because it interesting, was tough interesting. 20. Yeah, 20. you could <laughs> say
0: we need to physically distance, but instead it was socially distance.
2: Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So we held held burns. The burns continued. The fires continued to be lit. Yep. And that served as a source of healing for our students that were, it was already hard enough to be a college student, you know, probably away from home through a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. and then for us as the instructors and for myself as a Native person, you know, needing that connection with the land and needing to continue the fires, you know, all of that collectively, we pushed on and we held cultural fire demonstrations outside safely, um, you know, with masks and and through um, a lot of the HHS protocols that were being advised at the time. Well, but, yeah, you have to, um, but I,
0: I'm... Very pleased to hear that you continued on. A lot of people didn't, and a lot of people, they just accepted what what we were just talking about, socially distancing and cutting themselves off and, and being behind closed doors. So kudos for getting out there and getting it done. I like that.
2: Right. And we're helping with the fuel loads. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're helping yeah. with the positive effects of having fire on the ground. You know, we knew if we missed a field season, that would just lead to buildup and accumulation and yeah. it wouldn't have the positive effects on the cultural plants that we needed to see return, that we needed the connection with through the pandemic. Um, so I was, yeah, I was excited when our elders wanted to to move forward safely as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, moving forward, what are, do you have goals that you'd like to see in, in this burning and, and what is moved forward and and where you personally want to be? What, what do you see in the future? What is your outlook?
2: Oh, that's a good question for now. A lot of the people that I have conversations with that are fire professionals, that are agency staff, that are tribal members, that are cultural fire practitioners, we have the same goal. We want to see fire on the ground. We want to see, um, you know, controlled, prescribed cultural fire. Uh, We all want to see, you know. Climate mitigation. We want to see wildfire mitigation. We want to protect the places that we all live and care about, whether that's in the West, you know, or where I'm at here in the Midwest. And even some of the conversations that I have about people worldwide, you know, indigenous communities, we all want to see good fire placed on the ground. Yeah. Um, So I'm an advocate for getting our students FIRE trained and FIRE certified. I think that's a really good tool, especially here in the Midwest where the culture is a little bit different and there could be opportunities for them to pick up that FIRE cert while they're in school. And for California and in the West, I appreciate the idea that my mentor, you know, Beth Rose Manning had in in inviting students out on the land and learning from indigenous peoples and cultural practitioners themselves. There's such power in that, in reclaiming our um, expertise as indigenous peoples, our close and connectedness uh, relationship to the land. Um, So, so definitely within academia, uh, the position that i have you know i want more students trained to work with fire i also um, envision a future where they're learning from indigenous cultural experts and then for our agency folks our hot shots i said it earlier they're the biggest supporters when we have cultural fire demonstrations they're eager to learn they want to know they're respectful it's an amazing connection that we have that i just see you know, popping up more and more of throughout the West and definitely here in the Midwest. Um, So (laughs) the future is fire, (laughs) controlled burn. Prescribed burn, cultural fire, and the future is Indigenous. You know, we're starting to be more visible in the work that we do. I'm a native academic, and I'm also a burner, and I'm finding opportunities where I I didn't quite think they were imaginable. You know, Um, so the it's the future is looking good. Of course, um, I think the pace and the scale uh, we would like to see this happen quicker, but we also want to be mindful, you know, of how we go about placing the fire and the messages that we're still getting across to build that public perception and those relationships with fire, um, along with the partnerships that we have with agencies and wildfire crews, you know, it's, um, there's potential there, but, but that is the future that I see as an academic, as an indigenous woman, as a burner, um, and my responsibilities to all three of those things for sure
0: on day one of being a hot shot, basically everyone is told you need to be a student of fire and i think that's why that relationship is there because it doesn't matter to to a lot of us it doesn't matter what the fire is or where we are or who we're working with if it's new and it's interesting and it's fire like we want to learn we want to know what's going on we want to understand why why you're doing it the way you're doing it. How do you do it? Oh, this, that. And it's just being that student of fire that's, that's pressed upon you as soon as you walk through that front door. Um, And yeah, like moving forward at a slower pace than, than a lot of us would like to see. Totally agree. And what I've been seeing, and it's this case, I think for not just fire for a lot of things out there, but you get five steps forward, and then there's a hiccup, and now you're ten steps back. And and I see that with what took place in New Mexico, and mm-hmm. uh, the burn that escaped, and two two of them. But then the then the knee jerk reaction is, well, we're just going to ban it, and oh, we need to you know new laws to even restrict it further. That's I think that's the really difficult part. Is there's a lot of people trying to do a lot of good work, and but yeah, that public perception's tough when you know one out of 500 goes bad and it's 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 tough. And yeah, we all agree it should move forward faster. There is there is the the funding's there. Like just in the last 2 years a, a tremendous amount of funding has come out for this and uh I think as long as everybody just keeps moving forward and spreading the message, you know, we'll get there, right? We'll get there.
2: I I think so. There are some great people that are pushing forward, you know, legislation and budgeting and trying to have public awareness campaigns. I think I saw something neat and might have been Montana where they have a new, like, fire mascot <laughs> or yeah. something to that effect in trying to build public perception. Um, but... Yeah, there, I agree. There's some folks that are doing some good work all across, you know, and the world. I'm talking because I have colleagues in Canada that are having these same conversations and that are comparing notes, you know, about the opportunities that exist, but also a lot of the barriers that we're trying to find creative ways to work around. Um, so I agree. I think there's a, uh, it's there's momentum right now, um, but. Oh, excuse me. But opportunities just like this, you know, having uh, a podcast or writing a news piece and trying to, you know, shift some of those perceptions is going to go a long way, too. Um, And, yeah, I also wanted to just reiterate just some of the the best people that I work with are on the line, like on the ground and that are willing to learn and that are willing to learn to share with me, too, you know, how to go about it in an instant command type of approach or an agency type of approach, you know, there's opportunities for both sides to come together and learn from one another. And I guess that's what I would encourage to both with the training exchanges, as well as any of the demonstrations that we do or agency people's and, and fire professionals are at. I just want to say that I haven't experienced a lot of pushback or resistance in that way. And it's interesting because I, you know, my cultural practitioner or cultural burner first and then academic and then like federally, uh, federal agency certified. So it's interesting, uh, the people that I meet and have conversations with. But yeah, I do want to reiterate that the hotshots, the, the black line crew, they are, they are the first to be supportive of getting good fire on the ground, um, and hopefully this, you know, reaches reaches more and is encouraging and uh, helps get more people involved, whether they're on the line or, or observing, viewing. Yeah. Family members that are firefighters or in the fire realm, um, you know, there's space for everybody and 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 welcomeness to everybody to learn more about fire and especially culturally and indigenous-led fire.
0: I think the the point of just letting people view it and and just participate that way that that reminds me of i had a supervisor who he was he was you know hard-headed he was a great guy don't get me wrong he taught me more about fire than anybody else that i've come across i respect the guy but he was hard-headed and he was he had his approach and and uh you know hard in his ways and, but what to the point of having people just view view fire and participate We would do some gnarly stuff and we would be in canyons and there'd be fire all around us and there'd be 200 foot flame lengths and trees coming down all around us, helicopters flying overhead. And you would have like a new person speak up and say, hey, I don't feel comfortable. Right. I don't Mm -hmm. I don't uh, this doesn't feel comfortable to me. And sure, maybe the guys who had been in for and gals who had been in for six or seven years, they're just like whatever. Like this, it seems like we're okay. We're okay. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a tight spot, but we're okay. And the supervisor would take the the individual who would feel uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. if they were okay with it, he would just walk them to the front and walk them to that two hundred foot wall of flames, right. and and he would say, "Look, it sounds like a freight train." And he would be honest, if the wind switches, yeah, yeah, we might be in a tight spot, but it's, it's okay. We're, it's okay. It's every, look at where, where this is where we're standing. We can view it. And at the, at that time, they're not even doing anything. They're just viewing what is incredible fire activity. And just to like calm them and say, Hey, look, just, just be in awe, accept it. And just be in awe. See what, what it is. And we're okay. We're in the environment. We're hanging out. And that might be an extreme approach. You might not want to do that with, you know, just some <laughs> random out the street, but to, at, even at a distance, viewing it happen and and seeing that, that, you know, it, it's not something that is inherently scary and uh, something right. to be frightened of. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's nice to bring people out and, and have them view that.
2: I do, too. I really like that. Um, We talked about it earlier, that uh, intra and interpersonal relationship with it, the experience Mm. of it, because I think I was reading something about, you know, fire is mesmerizing to everybody. Like (laughs) people are intrigued by it. Um, So definitely inviting them out uh, on the land from a safe distance, whatever their comfortability is. And I really appreciate that lesson that your supervisor, you know, gifted to somebody to try to break down some of those fears and that perception that's been so built into us over lifetimes, you know, and it's generationally passed on. Mm-hmm. Um, we do something similar too. you know, if we see someone's a little, uh, maybe not on the front or just, just a little bit hesitant, our practitioners will welcome them, you know, to be a little bit closer, to learn a little bit more, um, just as a way to try to build their comfortability and being on the land. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, those overlaps that we have in trying to educate people or trying to share experiences um, within our fire world. So I really appreciate that part too.
0: One question before we go here, you said you had partners in Canada and uh, some relationships up there. I do a lot of writing on FIRE in South America, uh, specifically Bolivia, Chile, uh, Argentina, these places, do you have any connections down there or do you know if they have any programs or, or what their relationship is down there with FIRE? Do you have any perspective on that?
2: Oh, man. So I know Indigenous peoples that are in uh, those countries that are having conversations about having more culturally led fires and demonstrations. I'm not quite sure if they have programs up and running just yet, but I mean, yeah. So the wildfire uh, international conference is a, is a great opportunity to learn about the different, at least scholarship and experiences that people are having abroad. So that's been a really great um, source that I've been introduced to, you know, through my work with fire in California. Uh, so, yeah, the International Wildfire uh, Association Federation, that's a great organization that's been supportive of uh, amplifying more indigenous cultural fire worldwide. And that was through, um, maybe not partners, uh, collaborations or sure. um, fire friends yeah, <laughs> in yeah, what yeah. is now known as Canada. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Hey, do you have a message you want to give folks out there in closing? And, uh, yeah, just thoughts on our way out here.
2: Just a, a shout out and a, an invitation for hotshots and for people on the black line and for people on the firing line. Uh you know, just just come and learn and burn with us as Indigenous cultural fire practitioners. We definitely welcome that. And having that two-way exchange, you know, with federal and incident command type of training with cultural fire practitioners, I think that's a a strong connection that I would like to see more of and definitely invite. Uh, And especially now that I kind of have my foot in the West and also in the Midwest, um, I'm seeing opportunities all across, um, you know, so there's definitely opportunity. The scholar in me, uh, I examine, you know, uh, soil responses to cultural fire and plant responses to cultural fire, but I also try to get students um, fire trained and fire certified, Uh, So just an invitation for folks that are interested in that type of work and the publications that I'll be have coming out about that. Um, And that also I'm an indigenous person that does this work as a scholar. I think that's important because, um, you know, now is the time that we're more visibilized in academia and there are more of us. I think the people that are writing and experiencing researching about this should be indigenous peoples as first authors, (laughs) as PIs on grants. So the time is now. And I just want to send that message to listeners. You know, it could be academics. Um, And then also the cultural learner and burner. I'm still a community member. You know, my responsibility first is to my native communities. Um, So just uplifting, you know, the work of cultural fire practitioners, storytellers, educators, basket weavers, you know they're an important part of this wildfire and climate mitigation conversation too. So I just wanted to acknowledge and, and amplify the voices of the peoples that I've had the good fortune to work with too.
0: Absolutely. If people want to accept that invitation, how can they reach <laughs> out? How can they get a hold of whoever's putting these things together? Do they reach out to you? Can you provide uh, a place for them to reach out to?
2: Right. So I I would love to pass on information um, and especially trying to protect, you know, the people that I work with and maybe trying to vet a little bit. For sure. So uh, I'm at the University of Kansas and my email is mmadams, A-D-A-M-S, at KU.edu. I'm in the geography and atmospheric science department <clears throat> and i'm also in the indigenous studies program as well so that's my contact information and i welcome you know questions conversations um invitations that's how i can be reached uh, and then also i would say the indigenous peoples burn network the ipbn is okay. a fantastic for folks to get in touch with, with native led, um, training exchanges and cultural fire demonstrations. They've had some strong allyship in the West, but they also have partnerships with tribes and peoples in the Midwest, as well as the Eastern part of the Midwest too. So that's definitely a good um, organization that I would recommend.
0: Awesome. Um, reach out folks, if you want to participate or maybe just learn more um, if you are a firefighter, you know, you're a student of fire and, and this stuff is, is good to learn and, and experience. And like we said, for the p- community, just to even just view and, uh, see it happening firsthand on the landscape. Hey, thank you for coming on. This was great. And, uh, let's do it again sometime. If you want to come back and, and share some stories, if you do some burns and, and want to talk about it, open door and, and come back anytime.
2: Absolutely! Thanks so much for having me on. So we say Achant. We say thank you in a good way, and uh, yeah, the future is fire. So let's uh, let's get out and burn. Uh. Uh.
1: Uh.